This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. You know, we've just been battling. You know, the power play's been good. Um, you know, we've won a couple games in overtime, which we struggled with at the beginning of the year. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it hasn't always been pretty, but we found a way. I think everyone's playing uh, playing good structured hockey. Uh, I think everyone's on the same page when we're when we're out there and you know we're just playing uh, I think simple hard hockey and you know we're it's creating breaks for us at the same time but you know we got to earn those at the end of the day but overall I think we're just you know playing good solid hockey right now really at the end of the day and um, you know it starts in the D zone with uh, not giving up too many great A's but you know we're doing a good job down there and just uh, it's been fun winning's fun obviously at the end of the day. To be honest we've grown as a team so I think we're we've gotten better as this season's gone on so I gotta give the guys credit for that. I think the amount of goals that have gone in against us, a lot is on us as a group. But I would sit here and say some of it too has been, you know, things have happened that I haven't seen in 10 years in this league. So there has to be a regression at some point. And I do think we've dug in a little bit on the defensive zone. John Cooper. Talking about his team. Mm-hmm. Got a couple of days off here. We'll take on Minnesota yeah. tomorrow. Glenn Denning, right? Dahan. Luke Glenn Denning. Were they Dahan. there too? You scored 100%, Bart. Great job. Thanks. And I think a lot of people would look at that, what John Cooper had to say, talking about a regression. He is saying things like things have happened this year that I haven't seen in 10 years. And I think that's true. You know, Dave, you've mentioned this before where it feels like the lightning might be a little unlucky in games when it comes to calls or just things happening, maybe more so now than we've seen before. Maybe that Kovacevich goal on yeah. New Year's Eve. Yeah. You know, maybe that's just the product <laughs> of being up and down this year in Well, in I don't know if we that do. particular play has anything to do with how the lightning have been playing. That actually worked out in the lightning's favor. That play woke them up. And it did. they played a lot better after after that Kovacevic goal. Coop said, I've seen things happen this year that I haven't seen in the previous 10. That's one of them. Most people haven't yeah. seen that covering the game for upwards of six or seven decades, like Phil and Chief. Yeah. But I think Coop is more talking about the number of 50-50 plays, whether it's a play that involves a ref call or a linesman call or not, and a lot of them have not involved the officials at all. But a lot of the 50-50 plays have gone against the Lightning this year. Whereas in past years, maybe the majority of them, if not all of them, went in the Lightning's direction. Right. You know, Julian did his kind of mid-season fireside chat yesterday. And one of the things he said was, you know, we feel that we've played better than our record. And look, they have their own analytics to to look at what has been going on, and maybe you buy that's that? true. You buy that? It's hard to it's hard to argue that they should be a top ten defensive team. I, I don't think like you can say we played better than our record, but I don't think that they've played well enough to be a top ten defensive team. And just by hook or by crook, they're they're in the bottom third. I mean, they've been improving, right? Like slowly but surely. In the last little while here, I think in their last 12, he said they've won eight. Am I getting this right? That that part is right. So they're eight and four in their last 12. I think their goals against is averaging under three in those 12 games. And that's good. 
Like that's that's a step in the right direction. But I don't know that they've defended well enough to be where they want to be in the standings. But they still have whatever it is, 38 games left to improve those numbers, right? And and see if they can get better. As we speak this morning, the Lightning are 26th defensively. Now, there are a bunch of teams within a stone's throw of them that if they string together some more games where they're allowing one or two, they'll pass those teams, all the things being equal. What's interesting... So we'll see. All the metrics you just gave, the the Lightning have a minus three goal differential. They're the only team right now currently occupying a playoff spot in the East that is minus in that mm-hmm. department. And I would say this. I will I will look at this, the glass half full. Through 44 games, the Lightning haven't been at their best, but they're in a playoff spot. Yes. With everything you just said... I actually think those defensive numbers that you just mentioned probably, again, speaks to the goaltending being better than what the numbers show. Because how in the world would you look at that and say, you know, they're in a playoff spot being so poor defensively? I don't think Mm -hmm. anybody, again, we have made this point 20 games into the season when Johansson was playing. The Lightning's defensive issues, and you put the goaltender with that category are beyond the goaltender not making a key save here and there. Has Vasilevsky let in a few more quote-unquote soft goals this year compared to years past? Dave, I'm sure there is a metric and some film the team has looked at. They probably can give a better argument or case as to why or or maybe not. Uh, My eye test says I, I think he probably has this year. But collectively speaking, the fact that the Lightning have a poor goals against, and I don't think it's really directly related to the goaltending being poor and that they're in a playoff spot, maybe to John Cooper's overall point, I think things could turn the other way. You can call that hockey gods. You can call that puck luck, whatever that is. The fact that they've been able to be basically 500, 44 games in, and have a playoff spot, I actually think is pretty remarkable. And you've got to think this team has some better hockey in them. Now, maybe this three-game win streak turns into a seven. Right. And I think that's what we're hoping for. They still haven't had a big winning streak, have they? No, and they're looking to build one now, at least a a winning stretch. I mean, if you toss in an overtime loss or one isolated regulation loss in a 10-game, 9-10 game span, that's still, I mean, it'd be a streak, a winning streak, but it's a winning stretch. Yeah, yeah. I I have to take a little bit, I I wouldn't say exception, but I would qualify, like when you say they're in a playoff spot, their points percentage is not good enough to be in the top eight. So, like, teams still do have games in hand on them, and if that leveled out, they might find themselves out of the wild card. I mean, we're going to have to wait and see as these other teams make up some of the games in hand. But your point about the goal differential is a really good one because I'm looking at the standings right now in the East, and I'll look at the West in a second or talk about the West in a second. There are, of the 16 teams, there are eight teams with a positive goal differential and eight teams with with a negative goal differential. Seven of the eight teams with a positive goal differential are currently in a playoff spot. And I'm going just off the standings. I'm not looking at points percentage. 
the Lightning are the one team with a minus goal differential, and it's minus three. So, I mean, it's not minus 30, <laughs> but they are in the second wild card. The one team that's out of the playoff mix in terms of below the playoff cut line with a positive goal differential is Pittsburgh. They're plus 16. Plus 16 is better than some of the teams that are in a playoff spot. So they've just had kind of a confounding year. But the other teams all have substantial minuses. The only team that's close to the Lightning in the East is New Jersey at minus two. But I'm seeing like Washington minus 24, the Islanders minus 20, Montreal minus 28. And then on the other side of the ledger, you know, the Flyers are plus 10, Carolina's plus 16. It would figure if you're scoring more than you're allowing, you should have a better record, right? But it's interesting how almost that's almost a direct line. If you have a positive goal differential, you're going to be in a playoff spot. If you have a negative goal differential, you're not. And the same is true in the West. So the eight teams that are currently in a playoff spot in the West all have a positive goal differential. There are more than eight. So Arizona is at plus two, and they are out of a, a playoff spot right now, and Calgary is dead even, and they are they're the ninth seed. The other teams are all minus. So it's really interesting that you brought that up, Greg, because that is a very good indicator. I've talked about your your team defensive numbers, which is tied to your goal differential, certainly. But like Washington has kept the puck out of the net pretty well this year. But what did I say? They're minus 24? Yeah, they're minus 24 in their goal differentials. They just haven't scored at all. Uh, the other thing I want to bring up, we touched on this either yesterday or Monday, about Toronto. This is now becoming, I would say, noteworthy. So the Lightning are in, in just the middle of a, a crowded highway in the East. And if they can't get into the top three, they're going to be battling for one of the two wild card spots. And there are a lot of teams that are in the mix. If they can get into the top three, though, in the Atlantic, they don't have to worry about the wild card. And really, until recently, that didn't seem like it was really. I mean, it, it was feasible, certainly, that half a season left, but the more direct path would have been to try and just get better than the teams that are contending for a wild card spot as well. Toronto has lost three in a row in regulation. They've blown leads in all three games. They still have games in hand on the Lightning and the Red Wings, the two wild card teams as we speak right now. But they only have one game in hand on Detroit and only two games in hand on the Lightning, and they have only a one-point lead. This is now within reach for the Lightning. As we speak today, I mean, the Leafs have, what, 40 games left, the Lightning have 38 games left. But if you were to say, and Detroit's in the mix too, but if you were to say, okay, you got 38 games left, the team that you need to displace has 40 games left, you're only separated by a point, that's doable. That's not an insurmountable deficit. And they also face the Leafs twice, two head-to-head meetings left so we don't know what's going to happen with Toronto Toronto might go on a a tremendous streak as well but like the Lightning have been through some of those long difficult road trips out west Toronto's in one of those trips right they just started it they lost at Edmonton they're playing at Calgary at Vancouver which is having a great year at Seattle which was very hot and has lost two in a row and then at Winnipeg that's a tough road trip Heading into basically the bye week and the all-star break. 
So look, I I think that there's an opportunity here. We don't tend to standings watch a lot. We've done it more this year based on how the Lightning have gone in the first half. But this is a, a fairly significant development, I think, that the Lightning have gone on a winning streak, as have the Red Wings. Both teams have six wins in their last 10. And the Leafs have lost three in a row in regulation. The gap has narrowed. The Lightning made up six points on Toronto in each of their last three games, essentially. That's what's right. happened. It has, and there's been some some daylight here. I want to get to some Steven Stamco sound. I know we're yeah. going up against uh, Brian Engblom, but I, I want to get to we'll, – we'll revisit that that conversation because I think it's an important one. But last night we had a live taping of the Block Party podcast presented by High Lie IPA at the Cigar City Taproom. The guest was Steven Stamkos. How about that? It was uh, an unbelievable time. And one of the questions from a fan was, where is the team at right now? This year's obviously, it has a different feel than years previous. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. We haven't afforded ourselves some of the cushion that we have in the past where you can go on a little bit of a dry spell and not collect points and still be comfortably in a playoff spot. But there's also a part of you that you're engaged in every single game from here on out. We don't have the luxury not to be. And sometimes that can bite you where it has in the past where we didn't play meaningful games. We don't have that excuse anymore. Each and every game down this stretch, and you, you try to not look too far ahead. You kind of break it down into, you know, five, seven-game segments where you want to get this many points and that's going to get you in a spot. So we've talked about recently this homestand and we've done our job and now we got to do it again before we go on this road trip. But there's just there's more at stake each and every night when you're in a position like we are. And listen, we've dealt with our fair share of injuries this year. You know, obviously not having Vassy at, at, at the beginning. Joe yep. played amazing for us, gave us a chance. But, you know, Vassy comes back, and it's like everyone wants to, the big cat to just be stopping We're everything. We're spoiled. Right? And we it's – let me talk from experience. When you're coming back from an injury, it's it's tough. Yeah. And you can tell he's getting into his groove now. And, you know, some of the young guys that have come up and surprised us. Yeah. You know, that's what you need as the season goes on is, you know, just that push sometimes. And I think we – like I said, we got a little, you know, I don't know if you want to call it humble pie at the beginning of the year, but just, you know, it's it's not as easy to just go into games and just expect to win because we're the better team. You have to go out there and things aren't going to be as smooth as maybe they were in the past, but who cares? Sure. Let's let's go and work and we have to be better in in areas maybe that we didn't have to rely on in the past and be better at them now and it's just it takes everyone, and as we've seen, like we talk about at training camp, there's going to be a lot of guys that come up into this lineup, and the goal doesn't change. It's get to the playoffs. So it's going to be a little harder than it than it has been in past, but we all believe in that room that, that we're a playoff-caliber team. And you just look at last year and what the Florida Panthers did. Amen. They got in the last, well, the last day, Yeah. and they go to the final. Like, I have total confidence in our group that – we get to the playoffs, we can make a run. Game on, baby. Yeah. So, well, we need we need to just make sure we we get there. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what we said. I mean, 
overall uh, picture when it comes to the Tampa Bay Lightning is get in the playoffs. And I mm-hmm. think this team over the years has earned the benefit of the doubt that they'll make some, hey, now look, I every team every year is different. And, and this one might be different. I, I fully acknowledge that. But I, I do think we had the conversation with Dan Rosen yesterday about just playoff hockey is a lot different than regular season hockey. There are some teams who are actually built for the regular season and not the postseason. I think when you have a goaltender of Vasilevsky's capability partner, there is that chance, and we just talked about the goaltending during the first 10, 15 minutes of the show, that if you believe Vasilevsky's not been Vasilevsky-like up to this point, eventually he will because great players usually go back and revert to what they've been then that maybe does coincide with the Lightning having a long winning streak in the regular season and potentially Vassy playing well at the right time. And when he's doing that, probably the team's playing well at the right time. Yes, and no doubt. Steven Stamkos with the boys uh, yesterday. And that was uh, a lot of fun to listen to that. Maybe we'll play that again at the end of the show. I don't know. What the heck? Brian Engblom. Lightning broadcaster and uh, former NHLer, Stanley Cup champ. We always appreciate him joining us on the show. Is with us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. Brian, great to be with you. We just heard uh, Stephen Stamkos. He was on with uh, the boys yesterday for uh, the Block Party podcast. And he was talking about, look, he knows how difficult it is to come off an injury and work yourself back into shape. I know you didn't play goaltender but you've been around a lot of them do you feel like that is one thing we have to keep in mind when it comes to Vassy is that he is working himself back into not only game shape but his elite level shape and that we still haven't seen the best from him yet and eventually he will or should get back there sooner rather than later yeah for sure I I, I believe all of that um it, it, it is really difficult to, to jump back into the blender, you know, when everybody else, and it is, it's a blender. Once the league starts going and you played a game or two in October, the season just started, it is like a blender and it just going round and round and round at high speed and, and you're in it and you're part of it. So it's from training camp, you know, the first game to the 10th game to the 20th game and, and so on. Um, you, you're just in it. And so it's a blur when you are not in it and you jump in, like Vassy had to, like anybody who's been injured, especially for more than, I'd say, a week, it's it's really hard. Um, and he was out for a long time. So it doesn't matter what position you play. I, I don't think it matters at all. Um, you, you have that rhythm. You have individual, uh, how should I put it, your skill set, uh, getting your skill set honed is obviously much different for a goaltender than it is for a forward or a defenseman. But still the stamina that they need, literally the up and down and tracking the puck and the, the uh, traffic in front of you, uh, all those things that some of them are small, but they all add up. And others are, you know, just that feel of, of confidence that you have to have in order to be a good goaltender. It's still, to me, the most difficult pressure position in all of team sports. It's different than quarterback. It's different uh, than a pitcher in baseball. I mean, a goaltender makes a mistake on, on the slightest little shot, and it's in the back of the net and the red light's on. Uh, so there's a lot of pressure in that position, and Vassie's built for it. But, yeah, we, we have to give him time legitimately to get back to that high level we're so used to seeing from him. Brian, in the last five games, we've seen five players make their NHL debut. Four of them have been defensemen. 
And I'm just wondering if you could run down your impressions of, of the four. Lilleberg, who, who has come up and stayed up, but also we saw Declan Carlisle, Max Crozier, who was down and back up, and Jack Thompson. Yeah, uh, Carlisle, Crozier, and Thompson, I would put them sort of uh, at the same level. I thought they did a real nice job. I thought they played with some confidence and some poise, and that's what you want to see from young guys coming in. That, there's a lot of nerves, an awful lot. And your biggest job as a kid coming in is you're trying to hide them. And sometimes you're trying to hide them from yourself as much as from anybody else. You're playing with players that you know are star players. And there's intimidation even on your own team that sometimes people don't under, understand. Um, uh, you defer to them too much. Like if you get out there with Victor Hedman, you just automatically want, you know, okay, here, Victor, you know, here's the puck. And, and that's, that's not the right play to make in, in a lot of circumstances. So it, it's about getting comfortable playing a one-on-one, playing a three-on-two properly early in the game, making some contact, you know, <clears throat> having a collision in the corner, having some coverage in front of the net. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, all those things. The first couple of shifts are really critical for young guys call it, being called up, especially on defense, because your, your mistakes show up um, second most after the goaltender that we just talked about with Vassie. Second most. You make mistakes, it, it's a blunder that leads directly to a scoring chance. So you have to be careful. And not making mistakes is your first job when you get called up. Making good plays and solid plays is what you show in order to be able to play again the next shift and the next period and maybe the next game. So I think all of those guys, I could lump them together and say those three were good. Lilleberg, for me, was a little extra. Um, I've liked him. I've said that to you, Dave, you know, in, over the last couple of games when we've been, been talking about camp, the players. You said it. And, and he... Like, he literally has made an impact. Like, what's his strength? His strength is he's damn good at one-on-ones. Like, I'm really impressed by that. And it seems like a, uh, you know, a, a mundane thing sort of to say, but it's not. And I hope in some ways the way he plays physically and the way he, he challenges the guy coming at him and he finishes his play against him and doesn't fish around for the puck. And, of course, the big hits, solid hits that he's made, have really you know garnered some attention. I hope that rubs off on others. I I've been impressed. At the same time, he he's shown what once in a while it's been a little overly aggressive. But I would rather that than the opposite. You know, tra- sitting back in a shell and not not doing anything, being afraid to make a mistake. I think he's he's walked the line of that pretty darn well. And uh, I I've been impressed with him probably more than the others. Brian Engblom joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. The depth on the back end has been intriguing. Brian, what do you make of everybody being caught up on the back end over the last week or so? Is it rewarding guys for their good play down in Syracuse? Is it showcasing some of these players to other teams in case the Lightning do want to make a trade? I understand maybe it could even be a bit of both. Is there one you kind of lean towards more than the other? No, not without more information. I think it is both. Um, I think that um, it's got to be pretty exciting in Syracuse right now, and that's a great thing. Organizationally, it's great. You, you do your job and you play well, you get a chance. And, and that is very encouraging to everybody in Syracuse. And so that ups the ante for how the players are playing down there too. 
So their interest gets peaked in the middle of a very long season down the American League as well, too. So that's an advantage. So depth-wise and organizationally, it's really good. It spurs on momentum. At the same time, the obvious part is, yeah, they want to see how these young guys take the next step. Okay, you've done well in the American League. Now you're up against the best players in the world. How quickly can you adapt? And the fact that the way the season has gone for the Lightning, I think you can't help but say it's saying to the existing players on the team, hey, things are not going well. And we, you know, we, uh, we don't just stand pat. We're looking at everything all the time. And this is kind of a reminder. And at the same time, games are being scouted all the time. And I can't help but think, I wonder who else is watching. Um, and so GMs around the league, not just Julian Breezebois, but every team around the league, GMs say it for the reason. They say you were always interested in making the team better. And when your team isn't doing very well, you're expected to look around even more and you want to look around even more like what have we got here and what's what's gone sideways compared to what we thought that we had at the beginning of the year Uh, and that is how a gm has to think in, in my book so i think all of those things are coming into play with respect to these players coming up from syracuse Julian met with the media yesterday and pointed out that, I mean, the Lightning have won eight of their last 12, and, of course, they have the current three-game winning streak. Going back over to these last dozen games, what have you liked about the Lightning's game? How have they been able to win eight of 12? Well, the biggest thing certainly has been cutting down on the on the glaring chances against. They had so many in the first month and a half, especially. I mean, just so many glaring chances that confusion, um, not paying attention. I mean, all those things, anything you you can attribute to poor play. I think you saw it all multiple times in the game, not just the same players all the time. Sometimes the communication between forwards and D, sometimes the D between the two of them that are out there, uh, positioning. Uh, not just plain not good coverage, uh, not concentrating on the right thing, all those things. They were all prevalent. And so cutting down on that and just good old-fashioned hockey sense stuff and paying attention to, uh, to detail, meaning, and sometimes I use that football phrase, blocking and tackling. You know, because sometimes I think it describes it more. It gives you a different sort of fresh look. We hear that in the NFL all the time. You know, coaches saying our basic blocking tackling is terrible. And basically, that's what we're talking about here. It's basic stuff. It's basic coverage. Were you just standing beside a guy in front of your own net? Or did you actually have his stick tied up? Were you prepared to actually defend him when the puck came? No, you weren't. No. And you were two or three steps away. No, you didn't pay attention. All those things were happening. And um, so paying more attention and giving up less defensively has definitely been it. Um, As the season has gone on, it's gotten better. It's gotten more firm. And maybe that's the best way. It's gotten firmer uh, as a group that as the play is coming towards them and coming into their own end, they're, they're playing with a more firm defensive posture. And uh, defense is, is a lot about will. Uh, offense is about skill, but defense is about will and paying attention to details. And that means the things that I just talked about, 
Um, and I think you're just seeing that at a better, higher level more often as the season has gone on, especially over the last dozen games or so. Brian Engblom joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. I think to me that's the the most interesting aspect of the Lightning being up and down defensively, Brian. I, I firmly believe I didn't play. You did, so you can probably speak better on this. When you have a team who's been as successful as the Lightning have been over the years, the regular season is just a platform to get into the playoffs. You almost maybe don't care where you finish. It's, uh, we got 82 games, let's get in because that's when the fun starts. Does that factor in when it comes to a team's mental toughness night in and night out? And could that be one of the reasons for the Lightning's inconsistencies defensively? Uh, I don't really see it that way, Greg, um, to be honest with you, because what's carried the team through thick and thin this year, even when you know that first month or so that we just talked about was terrible defensively, that you know the top two lines, the skill guys, were were carrying it and driving it. And on the nights that they were winning, it was because those guys were 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 enough, and that you know they were able to score out sometimes outscore their problems, and that the power play and all that. So I think the drive was there. So and and those are your you know key cornerstone players that are playing on the top end. I think we've you know pretty much documented as we've gone along. It's been the depth in in the third and fourth line and getting you know the combinations and players that were new and then got injured and then came back in the lineup and all those things and just not really getting a a really good solid from first to fourth line and first you know first D pair through the third D pair getting that solid. So I didn't. I don't quite look at it that way from the standpoint of, oh, this is ho-hum. I just, I just think that the changes and the depth not showing through has been more of an issue uh, than, you know, than saying that, well, you know, they, they, they're just not paying attention yet. Brian Engblom joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio, and we're talking about the Lightning and, and where their season is right now. I'm curious, too. The goaltending, I actually think, has been pretty good this year. It's a mission I were talking about, the the goals allowed and, and where the Lightning are compared to where they are in the standings. And to me, it's it's pretty interesting to see the difference. Do players play differently in front of goaltenders, Brian? Yes. Because you hear yes. so much, we, we try and play the same way. It shouldn't change. but And is that good and bad? I guess depending on who the goaltender is, right? Yeah, I, I think definitely you, you do. Um, I think that in on teams where they have a one and a one a, I think they do, and a lot of teams do that, right? That's a tandem, uh, whatever you want to call it. I think that that some guys naturally uh, gravitate to one goaltender more than the other. I've never been a huge fan of the tandem goaltending. I always think that that's the alternative plan because you don't have a guy who's grabbed the net. And, and have, you know, a, a number one guy. And there's arguments all the time. And I know, they, you know, the season is long, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's important to have two goaltenders. Yeah, I, I get that to a point. But the teams uh, that hammer the, on that the most, and I think the medias in those cities hammer that the most, are the ones who don't have a top five goaltender in the league like the Lightning do. When you have one of the top guys, you don't talk like that. You know 
Vasilevsky is the number one guy by far. And every everybody in the league knows that. So you have maybe a top five or maybe six guys in the league who can say that. And and the, and the other guy is the other guy. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And then all the other cities, you have uh, tandems. And then coaches, I think, down the stretch, cross their fingers and, and hope that one guy grabs it and goes, right, um, to the end so that he doesn't have to think about that in the playoffs. Hmm, who am I going to play? Look at the Boston Bruins and the, the record-setting season they had last year. And they have, you know, widely considered the top tandem group in the National Hockey League, and I would agree with that. And then they went uh, with Ulmark, and, and it wasn't working. And then they switched, I think, in Game 7 to Swayman, and then, of course, they lose. And right afterwards, um, you know, the coaching staff is saying, well, I, I wish I hadn't done that. I w-. That's old-school thinking. He was thinking, okay, I went with the one guy, but no, we, we have to go with our tandems. And so then he's got to decide every game. Okay, I guess I got to switch back and forth. I wouldn't want that if I was a coach. Coop doesn't spend, I've been saying this for years, Coop doesn't spend 20 seconds thinking about who's in goal in the playoffs, right? He doesn't, doesn't think about it. He doesn't have to. He's got enough to worry about. That's a, that's a real blessing. When you're going, okay, do I have to flip a coin? Uh, do I rotate? Whatever. But I think invariably that teams do play better as a rule. There are, there are exceptions, I guess, to everything. But I, I, I've always felt like teams tend to play better in front of one guy than the other. Let's say I think that some make saves at key times better than others. There are certain obvious things that maybe one guy's a really good puck handler and the other one's so-so. Well, that makes a big difference to defensemen in general in, in their own end because, okay, I've got I've to be more efficient. I've got to come back for more pucks with this goalie B in there because he's lousy with the puck. So I got to go back and get it. Whereas the other guy, okay, I can drift off into the corner. He'll play it to me and away we go. So there's basic things that happen like that, depending on, on which goaltender is in. Brian, the, the Anaheim game, were you behind the, uh, were you by the benches or were you upstairs? Yeah. yeah. No, I was downstairs. You, you were downstairs. Okay. I want to ask you about the after effects of the Lilleberg hit. So Greg and I have talked about why do players have to answer for clean, hard checks? And usually they do. Lilleberg didn't in the Anaheim game. But what was the temperature like on the ice? Do you think Anaheim wanted to engage him in a fight? And maybe why didn't that happen? Well, yeah, first of all, it was a clean hit. There was nothing wrong with it. And, I, like, I burst out. I just went, wow, you know, because I could feel it down there at ice level. That was an old-fashioned Rob Blake kind of style hit coming across and covering he comes across covers 10 15 feet sometimes it's not that's not the first time he did it and just unloaded and that was a big time hit it is strange to me but it's the evolution of our game that there seems to be an understanding amongst all the players in the league that we don't hit in the middle of the ice now are there are a handful of players like you know, a Radko Gudis or one of those guys, or Truba in, on the Rangers, who will be the exception to that. But there are very few exceptions. I mean, there is done. Dave, I've said this to you before. If Rob Blake and Scott Stevens were still in the league, they'd line the ambulances up outside. They'd be carrying guys off on stretchers like you read about. 
because players crisscross and dive back and forth at speed at the blue line and just inside the offensive blue line because there seems to be this understanding and players don't plan for hits in the middle of the ice. They play the puck and they play the position. It's the evolution of the game. But this kid comes in, Lilleberg, and he goes, "Mm -mm, this is how I play, and he lays a big body check on. Now, Ross Johnson came over at the first TV timeout, and he stood at the red line and yapped at Lilleberg, who was right beside me at the end of the bench. This is the second period. So he's at that end of the bench. And he's, you know, MFing him and whatever, and just getting in his ear. He just talked constantly. I get what he was trying to do. He was trying to intimidate a kid he'd probably never seen before and lit one of his players up going, okay, kid, you do that again. I'm sure it was threatening. I couldn't hear everything he was saying, but I didn't have to. He was just trying to light him up and test him to see, are you going to do it again? Because I'm going to be right here. And, you know, Ross Johnson's, what, 6'4 or 6'5? He's a big boy, big dude. We've seen him for a couple of years. And so uh, even, like, Coop came over and patted Lilleberg on the back. And Lilleberg was just looking at him. His facial expression didn't change. I watched very closely. Coop came over, patted him on the back, and said something to the effect of, don't listen to that guy. You're doing great, you know, and then walked away. And then the next time out, I think it was, uh, Stammer came over and went right to Ross Johnson and was talking to him. And again, I couldn't hear the words, but good on Stammer, just saying, all I heard was Lilleberg, you know, the name Lilleberg from Stammer. So he's saying, hey, the kid's up here, he's playing, you know, blah, 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 like, Whatever, you know, we'll, we'll be with him. I, I, again, I didn't hear all the words, but I could tell by the demeanor. And Johnson listened to him and yapped at him a little bit. And, and guess who was only about eight or nine feet away? <laughs> Austin Watson, which is his job, just overseeing the situation. He just looked at him. He didn't really say anything. He let Stammer talk, but he wasn't going to let any, any one shove by Ross Johnson would have had Austin Watson in there in a heartbeat and throwing them pretty thick and fast. So it's kind of, you know, whether you like it or not, it, it, that's the whole situation from what I saw from very close up because it all happened right in front of me. Um, so, yes, it, it is strange that uh, players, you know, have to react to a good hit, but players don't even know what a good hit is anymore. They don't because, as I said, they don't see it in the middle of the ice. And so uh, they don't know until maybe after the game whether it was a good hit or not, especially if they see their guy down and hurt. There's a natural reaction to say, our guy's hurt, must have been bad, or I want revenge. Is it, is it right? It's just the way it is. But it makes the guy who made the hit stand up and say, okay, I don't really want to do this again because I don't want any, everybody running at me. So there's the both sides of it from what I can see. But it didn't bother Lilleberg at all. Who talks the most on the bench? I'm curious for the Lightning, just in general. Um, we know Pat Maroon I, was, you know, vocal. Yeah, oh, and no, those, was, he was yeah, great. He was I'm sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> no doubt about that. Uh, I would Austin Watson for sure. Um, he, his funniest line was against Florida when that uh, Cousins, you know, who's a a real disturber out there for him. And he had a couple of big hits and he was yelling at the bench about something. And Austin Watson came to the end of the bench and he's just screaming, they're screaming at each other. He goes, Oh buddy, you think, you think you're something. I got the same number of points as you and I don't even play much. 
<laughs> and I was laughing my ass off. I mean, it was so funny. And, and so, and, and, you know, Austin Watson's like that. It was, it was great. He makes fun of himself, but oh yeah, he's, he steps in and he's definitely got some Pat Maroon in him. Uh, I would say Hegel uh, and Paul also <clears throat> aren't shy in that department. Uh, I would probably put those guys uh, r- right there, but uh, Patty was definitely the best. And, and, uh, Perry, Corey Perry had always some 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 uh, concise slicing words when he was here too. How important is that to a team, and more specifically to this year's Lightning team? We fielded questions from fans wondering if removing some big personalities, and I think it's been mostly maroon <laughs> that the fans are are thinking of and talking about. Yeah. Maybe the Lightning are, are missing something this year. Do you get the sense that they are missing something or not? And and kind of the second part of the question, how important is that both on the bench and in the room to have vocal guys like Maroon? Yeah, it's very important. Uh, Patty took care of a lot of things, that all, all the things that we're just talking about. So when anything was going sideways and somebody was taking liberties, oh, yeah, he'd stand up and he'd just start bellering at guys and go, hey, I'm coming after you. Leave that guy alone. Braden Point, Kucherov, you see those guys? Not, not a chance. So that's, that's part of the equation. Then stirring things up and just getting in, you know, a skilled guy on the other team, giving him a couple of one-liners and telling him he's having an awful night and, you know, whatever trying to get an edge on him and that also drags you know especially when the team was kind of uh, you know just kind of meandering around and the game's going sideways patty would stir it up definitely not just on the ice but on the bench by what he'd say and just keeping guys you know in it and realizing that he's stirring up the other team which means well we got to rise up too that's that's a skill that's, a, that's something that some guys have it innately, and I think Pat Maroon is one of those guys that had it, you know, probably from the beginning because he's a talkative guy. But it's a skill, knowing what and when and uh, saying the right things on the bench. And those things uh, were done by Pat and, and by Corey Perry, too. I remember Coop said several times last year and the year before, said, you know, I'd go to say something on the bench and like one of those guys was already saying it. I didn't have to say anything. And it's better coming from a player at a certain time uh, on the bench when you know that the team's playing lousy or they're losing it or the drifting mentally or whatever, uh, you know, be it as it may, realizing that and helping grab a hold of it from the team aspect. Those guys were good. So do they have all of that? It's just different. You just have to move on. So some guys have to become more vocal. I think you do miss that, those voices for sure. So other guys do it in, in their way. Um, you know, a, a Steven Stamkos is going to say something somewhere along the way. Victor Hedman's pretty quiet most of the time, but it doesn't mean he doesn't talk. But it is a different mix. And, you know, there's nothing you can't just go looking for a replacement all the time. Your team evolves, and we've certainly seen that. Your team evolves because of the salary cap especially. So you have to deal with who you are, and those changes are important. And everybody has to slot in a little bit differently from one year to the next uh, because you're missing voices that you did that you had before. 
Last question on my end, Brian. We're here with Brian Engblom on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. You've had a chance now midway through the season to look at some other teams here in the East. Is is anything sticking out for you in terms of pretenders, contenders, who you like, who you don't like, and you know, kind of where do the, where do the Lightning fit in this, this whole equation? Um, I guess surprise from the standpoint of they haven't been as good as I thought. I thought Buffalo was going to take a step forward this year and going to be a real handful to deal with, and they have not. And even Ottawa, I thought Ottawa would be better too. They've got some real good young skill, but they really have not taken that next step forward of, okay, you got to play some defense too and pay attention. So both of those teams on the disappointment side, I think, have not been what I thought they would, would be. And I think the Flyers um have done a real good job like they're really starting to come on here uh, to me i think they're starting to get a real solid game we know how john tortorella coaches Uh, he's been around a long time and he gets his message across he's got them playing hard they've got some guys back from from last year like couturier who missed you know huge amounts of time just you know one example he's not the only one but he's a key cog experience and skill so those things you know that they had go against them last year now those a couple of those guys are back and uh just the way they're playing overall and grinding through things and getting wins i i would say i put the flyers uh right up there in that respect brian we appreciate you as always sir we will talk to you tomorrow we'll see you tomorrow and we'll uh we'll talk some more hockey down the road thank you okay great guys thank you thanks brian there he goes, Brian Engblom, joining us right here on the show, and we always appreciate his expertise mm-hmm. and and what he brings to the table. Anything that, that kind of stick out? Well, for he you? is he has told me over the years if he had his choice, maybe he wouldn't be this way for every game. But if he had his choice, he prefers to be at ice level as opposed to up top. And look, he's not calling the play by play. Right, the play by play is a lot more difficult at ice level because your view is going to be obstructed. But getting the feel for the game happens way more down low. And, and he, gave us, he gave us information that we missed way up top from that Anaheim game, the after effects of the Lilleberg hit. Yeah. So I think it, it adds to his ability to provide analysis being at ice level. Kind of gives you a different perspective there. Yeah, seeing goals on. develop around the net, he probably has to look at the monitor. I mean, it is harder to see, but in terms of the feel, the tempo, the temperature of the game, you get that way more acutely down low. And probably fans, if, if fans have had an opportunity to sit at different points in the arena, I, I've often said when you know asked, like, where would you sit? And I said, well, I have my own preferences i like to be able to see because that's what i i lean on right so i like being higher up maybe not as high as in some of the press boxes around the nhl but generally the closer you are to the ice the more you feel the less you see and then as you move up that dynamic shifts (laughs) so that if you're up where where you and i and and phil and steve are you're going to see really really well but sometimes you lose a little bit of the feel of the game that you would get if yeah, you were closer. For sure. So it's all your personal preference. He did say you do play differently in front of 
different goaltenders. Yeah, he said that too. Which I thought was pretty interesting. So, you know, something to, to keep in mind. And I think the Lightning are in a position, if the cards fall appropriately, and they do some of the things that we have discussed, where you can look at through the first 40-plus games and say, okay, that's how long it took you to get going to find yourself. Now let's get going and make a push. And mm-hmm. I think I think that's what we're all hoping for, Dave. And I, I, I'm hoping that is the case. Well, as it relates to tomorrow's game, the Lightning have a chance to complete a perfect homestand. That would be great. But it does look like Chernak, who didn't skate again today and has not skated since his last injury, is going to be out. And Sergachev and Flurry, Julian Breezebaugh said, probably post-All-Star break. In fact, definitely post-All-Star break at the earliest, which is early February. The Lightning resumed their schedule in New York against the Rangers on February 7th, I believe. So for now, it looks like the Lightning are going to be putting together a lineup that includes, you know, certainly a handful of guys new to the NHL. We should mention that they did recall Merrilla. So they sent down Gonsalves prior to the Monday game that Syracuse had, which was an afternoon game. Syracuse won that game. The forward who came back up, though, was Merrilla. I think we talked about that yesterday. The other, the other guys also came back up. Myers and Crozier, but it looks like based on how they ran the lines and the D pair, the D pairings today, that Crozier is going to be in again. For sure. You know, I'm wondering, do you think Lilleberg is making a push, or maybe he's already there, to be one of their seven best defensemen? (coughs) And do you think those discussions are happening right now? Or do you well, think it's the, too early still? Yeah, but the, the two bits of information that we can look at, has he played every game since he's been up? Yes. How much ice time has he gotten? Fair amount. I mean, he's not playing 23 minutes a game, but it's not like he's played a couple of games and they're whittling his ice time down. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I, I, think, I think there's a strong push here, and I, I'll be curious to see how it, how it does transpire. And we'll see how that plays out. Did we want to take questions? Well, you know, or I did, did see. You want to uh, touch on we something were, here. We, yeah, we were talking about Jay, who's a regular contributor. Yeah. Thank you, Jay, for providing this information because it clarified some some items that I got wrong on yesterday's show. So apparently, he was he knows the rules for about how long uh, an organization holds a player's rights after being drafted. So apparently, it's two years if the player is European or going the junior hockey route. It's four years that they go the college route. So look, four years makes sense. If you're going to college and you want to stay the four years, what has happened, though, is a lot of a lot of players spend a year playing junior hockey in the U.S., usually in the USHL, after they are drafted. So that counts as one year of the four. So if they decide to go to college and stay for four years, they can run out the clock. Now, Jay pointed out that junior players can also run out the clock. If they're drafted, they can re-enter the draft. If they're drafted at 18, they can wait it out and re-enter the draft at 20. And that was what I think I mentioned Blake Wheeler. I think Blake Wheeler did that. Most players, though, who are drafted, and if they they are even close to a high pick, they're usually getting a contract offer. 
And as Jay pointed out, like it doesn't make sense to turn down the contract, right? The, you can't do that with, with college-bound players, though, as we talked about yesterday, because they would lose their amateur status. A player playing in the OHL can actually get a contract, sign the contract. That's fine. They can keep playing amateur hockey. It's just the contract doesn't kick in until they turn pro. So that that is a way that the team locks in the player before the clock runs out. And I guess, based on when Lilleberg was drafted, because he was the guy that we were talking about that started this whole discussion, Lilleberg was drafted in 2021 by Arizona, and I guess the two years passed, and Arizona did not offer him a contract. That's how the Lightning were able to get him as a free agent last summer. So thank you, Jay. Thank you, Jay, for all of that knowledge. Jay I don't. I, it doesn't change my overall take, though, which is... The college-bound player is receiving a benefit from the team that drafted him in terms of like a developmental benefit, right? The team is that investing is time and energy in that player, and unlike the junior and European players where it's you know two years and they can decide to, to not sign or maybe the team doesn't offer them a contract and they can kind of re-enter the pool, like this is a four-year process. That's a lot of time and energy that the team is putting into this prospect. And then the prospect is basically saying, mm, no thanks. I'm not crazy about that. Yeah, no, I, I'm actually in agreement with you on that one. Anthony says, uh, to the Cooch topic from last show, most media and shows don't even mention him in the heart conversation when they're talking about McKinnon's stats. Pretty ironic that the last time I heard his name in McKinnon interview with Elliot Friedman, he said Cooch is his favorite player to watch. He said, that's I, I'm probably true that's for the whole Ma- league. That's McKinnon, not Elliot, right? McKinnon said Kucherov is... That is correct. Yes, okay. I guess he was on with Elliot. Yeah. And that's that's how the conversation went. Um, that doesn't surprise me. I didn't hear the interview, but, but actually that doesn't surprise me, Greg, because if you are a top, top player in the NHL, one of the best players in the NHL, like McKinnon, I think the top players, as much as, as any player or fan, or broadcaster, anyone who watches Kucherov, can appreciate and marvel at how he sees the game. What would you say Nathan McKinnon is, among forwards, let's say, top three, top four? Maybe make the argument that that yeah. number is a little too high. I mean, I, I, think, I think the top five is, is for sure. Yeah, top five for sure. So he's looking at Kucherov and saying, Goodness gracious, how does he see the ice that way? Or, like, I enjoy how he plays because he sees everything. He sees, like, five steps ahead. I mean, Kucherov's one of the... That's why it makes sense to me that that he answered the way that he did. He's one of the five best offensive players in the game. And, look, he's arguably the best right now in the game. Anthony said, by the way, it's four years for European players, not two. So that's Anthony All right, well, then I'm utterly confused. So we have a disparity between Jay and, and Anthony. But that's why Even it's as it may, Lilleberg became available. Yeah. And, and you know, it's not, it's not often that a player that is European who is still in Europe and hasn't gone to the OHL, because yeah. then the dynamic changes, would care if they were drafted by St. Louis or Colorado or Anaheim or whomever. whomever. If they want to get to the NHL, they're going to they're gonna go to the team that drafted them. That's usually the way it plays out. So I'm guessing Lilleberg's free agency was was contingent more on Arizona than on him. I feel safe saying that. 
for sure. We appreciate you guys listening, <laughs> even though sometimes that stuff. Yeah, we need we need a who do we, we need, need in a, that? a a draft Google. slash franchise holding the draftees rights yeah. one hundred and one class that from somebody. Correct. I can find out next time I see and have a chance to talk to either Matthew Darsh or Julian Breezeball. Stacy Roost often pops in yeah. and says hello. Any of those from guys time time. would know. Yeah, it'd be great. All right. Well, tomorrow we're going to be back at it, getting ready for the game tomorrow night. Lightning and Wild should be awesome. Fun. Thank you, partner, and thanks to Steve Versnick. Thanks to Brian Engblom. We always appreciate his expertise, and thanks to you for listening. I am Greg Lanella. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. <laughs>